the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Okay, I, I um, you you may not have known this, but I've been using some older um, recordings for the program lately, and I, I've tried to start things back up here and there, and it probably was a little chaotic listening from week to week, looking for those you know themes that I generally stick to. Uh, a lot has been going on at my home and here at the congregation. Um, my wife has been struggling with some cancer, uh, although it has been a, uh, not as bad as it could have been. It's been going well. She's now in radiation. She does not have to do chemo, and we're working through that for the next four weeks. But things are calming down, are, are getting better. I've started a on a, an online Bible study on YouTube. It's live. That way, anyone who has questions, they can write them in to me, and I can try to answer them. And I started doing it on the book of Acts. And so for the sake of simplicity, and I'm not um, having to, to do as much work throughout the week with everything else I need to get done, I'm going to also do the book of Acts here with the radio program. So I'm behind right now, but I think I can get more done on the radio program than I can on the YouTube channel because I try to keep that about 15, 20 minutes, and I'm also answering questions uh, when they do come up. So let's jump right in. My goal is to start working through the book of Acts, I'm to be consistent, and we're going to look here at Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1 first. And the very first verse says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the prophets whom he had chosen. So, verse 1. The writer of Acts makes mention um, of his first letter written to Theophilus. In my opinion... <clears throat> Excuse me. In my opinion, that is Luke, uh, that is the author, uh, the uh, as the commentators that I've read, and I'm sure you probably believe Luke did as well. Most people do. There's always someone out there or a group that thinks something or another, but it is Luke. I'm not going to jump into the main reasoning here, but throughout the Book of Acts, there are other indications that this is Luke. That just the evidence all points to him. So we're not going to dive deep into, is this uh, um, Luke or not, I think we all agree. Now this is, this first account Luke wrote, clearly it's got to be the gospel that he wrote. And that gospel ends with, uh, where, 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 where am I at here? Or 
right before or, or Jesus after his ascension to heaven and uh, the gospel he wrote to the Theophilus was just the beginning. And now book of Acts is the rest of the story. So the words of the apostles carry the same weight as the words of Jesus. A lot of people think that you see the red text and that's more important. Uh, I can understand that to an extent, but Jesus commissioned these apostles to go out and teach all that he taught. And the first two chapters are going to help us see how we can know for certain that what the apostles had was the truth. He, for you and me, we are going to struggle remembering things. Don't we, we struggle with that? I know I do. Like you, you tell me one thing or I study one thing and a week or two later, it's, it's almost out of my mind. I've, I've forgotten about what that might be. And a lot of times, like actually not a lot of times, quite a bit, I'll preach something on Sunday morning, and then by next week, I, I may have forgotten what I had preached because I'm on a whole new thing. That's not going to happen to the apostles. We'll see that because here in verse 2, after he had by the Holy Spirit, oh, not verse 2, down in verse 5, we'll see that in a moment, about the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles. So I'm jumping ahead of myself. But here we're, we're opening up the letter, uh, talking about... Jesus, before he was taken up into uh, heaven, it says here in verse 3, to these, this is the apostles, Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So we know that happened. Again, we read that in all the Gospels. Uh, To these, oh, gathering them together, verse 4, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, verse 6, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? So let's look at some of the things that Jesus says to them here. Uh, Which you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's talking about the comforter here. If we were to go over to John chapter 16, let me get my text over there. John, J-O-H-N, 16. We see where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he promises the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 5, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay. The helper. Who is the helper? Well, we drop down here to verse 13, and he explains to us who this helper is. He tells them, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, that's the helper, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. You're going to know what to say. You're going to know Everything that I have taught you, it will all be brought back to your remembrance. And it's not like the way you and I remember, like we were saying a moment ago. Imagine if you were to study the Bible 
And then when the Holy Spirit came upon you, everything you've studied, everything you read was right there, readily accessible. You could, uh, like a photographic memory, you could snap your fingers or have a thought, and it was there perfectly and clearly, all the teachings of the Bible, without having to pick it up again. Would that, wouldn't that be amazing? That's what the church needed in the beginning. People to, they could go to who knew, who would not forget, and knew exactly what the Christ uh, uh, intended for us. And that's what they're going to receive not many days from now. An amazing thing that this great helper that he promised them and told them about. And their first comment when they heard this, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, what are they asking there in verse 6, these disciples? I think they're asking, Lord, are you going to establish a literal kingdom on earth? Because that's what the Jews thought. They were really looking for this literal kingdom where Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be a literal king on earth and they would reign with him. So that's what they're thinking. They still don't get it. So he said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But then he brings them back to what's important. But you will receive power. Not the kind of power you're looking for or thinking. You'll receive a different kind of power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So that, that, that right there, Luke is giving Theophilus, he's giving you and me, this is the outline of the whole book of Acts. And he's showing it to him. So the first two chapters here of, of Acts are some of the most vital chapters. I mean, everything in the Bible is vital. But this is vital in that this, we're about ready to see God's plan to save mankind. We, we knew it was coming in the Messiah, but now how is all this going to come together? It's going to happen. It's going to begin in chapter 2. So it's an amazing chapter. This is significant. This is a change. We're moving from the Mosaic Age to the Christian Age. We're coming to the last ages. We're coming to the point where God's plan is going to become fulfilled and begin right there with the beginning of the church. And it's going to start with these 12, these 11. Right now it's going to be 12 in a moment. And they don't even realize just how significant this is. But they will. They will. So he makes that comment to them. We get this outline of the book, and we're going to see the beginning of the church in chapter 2, which is important because that's one of the things I want us to focus on at Acts, is seeing the New Testament church, because isn't that what we want? When If you're out there, and you're looking for a place to worship the Father, or maybe you're someplace and you're, you're just attending there because you don't know where else to go, this is, this is a way, a litmus test, we can find out, is where I'm at, where I'm worshiping, is this the church that Jesus established? Can I know for certain? There's so many different to choose from. Does it matter which one I go to? And if it does not, then okay. But if it does matter, then maybe I need to take a look at the book of Acts and see if I am attending a place that is holding to those same principles that Jesus put forth through his disciples. We'll find that out. Study this together. Okay, so we move on. Verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. 
And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they re oh, you know, let, let's do let's do with that. It's that's simple. So these two men, they appear, just it doesn't say they walked up, it looks like they literally appeared. They have to be angels. The text does not say they're angels, that's true. But they have to be angels. I think that's what it is. So they they appear, and, and you, you can't blame these disciples that be gazing probably with their mouth open about what they just saw uh, Jesus ascending and disappear into the clouds. It's to kind of just get their attention. They're not rebuking them, just reminding them, okay, it's time to move along. Let's go, guys. And so off they go to honor the, the commands of the Lord. So verse 12, they returned. <clears throat> they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, they're not far. Uh, I, don't, I don't. Obviously, you can't see a map, but the uh, Mount called Olivet's not far from Jerusalem. It's only a Sabbath day's journey, and that's not like a week's journey or a day's journey or like that. Uh, generally, it is believed. Oh, I have it written right here. I make sure I get this right. I think it's three quarters of a mile. Where is it at? Uh, yeah. It just means about three quarters of a mile. So it's not far. That's all that is. But this is written to a man named Theophilus, and he clearly does not know uh, things about Jerusalem and Olivet and some of the things about Jesus. So they're being explained to him. He's writing to somebody who doesn't know much, doesn't live in the area, doesn't know the area. So that gives us a little bit of a, a sign, uh, a signal of who this guy is that Luke is writing to. When they had entered the city, they're in Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. So it's the 11. Judas Iscariot, not with them anymore. We know why. He's the, the traitor. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they're in the upper room where they were staying. We do not know if this is the same upper room as the, the one in which they, they took the Lord's Supper in Luke 22. But we get the list of the 11. Peter, uh, John, James are listed first. Uh, they were Jesus' closest friends. Then the, the rest of them are, are named here. Um, we know... All these others listed here, except maybe one. Maybe Judas, the son of James. Uh, he's listed as Judas in John 14, verse 22. But in the other Gospels, I think this is the one they call Thaddeus. Uh, Matthew 10, 3, Mark 3, 18. These all with one mind, one mind, or with one accord, if your translation says that, just means that they all have the same purpose in mind. And this, this term, one mind, is found 11 times in the New Testament. Of those 11, 10 are found here in the book of Acts. It often describes Jews or others acting in you know, protest against something. They're all together against this. In other cases, though, it describes the disciples who are in accord about something. They're, they're, they're in agreement. Uh, as the examples concerning disciples show, it is a term that points to the fundamental unity 
within the church. Okay? Within the church. There's a unity within the, bo- the body of Christ. So this group is operating in obedience, waiting for the Spirit to come. They're praying in preparation as they wait. These 11, plus the others with them, had the same mind that Jesus gave them. And at this point, they were to wait in Jerusalem until the Helper from John chapter 16, Jesus talked about, came. And as they waited, they did what many today lack. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. So the next few days, they stayed in the upper room, praying to the Lord until the Helper came, of which the Lord promised them. Along with them, along with those 11, you have the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, the women were were not named, not all of them, uh, so we're left to speculate about who all that might be. Uh, as far as the brothers of Jesus being there, what do you think about that? That that sh- that ought to be a bit surprising to us. The brothers uh, being named last make it certain that they are not apostles, but uh, they were not even believers. Though at first, remember that from John chapter seven, verses three and five, his brothers said to him, "Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing." For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So they weren't believers. A general thought is that the resurrection of Jesus brought them around. I bet it did. I bet it did. So they're all there. And then at verse 15, Peter stood up. In the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons were there together and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Okay, let's let's, let's look at these two verses real quick. So at this time, in verse 15, literally in those days, that is in between the ascension and and the day of Pentecost, after, uh, uh, so after their time devoted to prayer, Peter gets up. He has always shown that he is assertive and he takes the lead naturally and he does not disappoint here. So based on the size of the group, uh, safe to assume that they are not in the upper room at this time. Uh, now, who are the 120? Well, these must be part of the disciples who have been following Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. Maybe not the whole thing, like we'll see here in a moment. But we know thousands at one time were following the Christ. But those numbers started to dwindle away as the teachings of Jesus became too difficult for them to bear. John chapter 6, verses 60 to 66, a lot of them started going away. So you got this group of 120. Probably made up of women, mostly. Jesus' brothers, the eleven, the disciples of Jesus, and and, and others as well. Um, Peter gets up, says the scripture had to be fulfilled. And the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David uh, concerning Judas. So this phrase, opening phrase, it's important for us to understand. Peter uh, gives us a clear example of the role of the Holy Spirit. Its role is that of the supernatural. And Peter makes it clear that David did not make these things up, but was given the information divinely via the Holy Spirit. Luke is telling us that what happened with Judas was foretold, and God knew 
it would happen. This clearly debunks premillennialism. Premillennialism. I, I know a lot of people believe in this. There's a lot of teachings out there. And the teaching is this. This is a quick surmising of it, so I'm not getting into a depth of it. But a lot of people believe that one day Jesus is going to return and he is going to uh, establish his kingdom here on earth literally for a thousand years. They believe that when Jesus first came, that the disciples were correct here in chapter in chapter 1 up here at the uh, where they asked, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? They thought, a lot of people believe that that's what, what Jesus wanted to do, but he didn't realize. God did not know, did not see that the Israelite nation was going to reject his son and was going to kill him. They didn't see that coming. But that's not true. They believe that the church was set up as an afterthought because God did not see the death of his son occurring and he needed to jerry-rig something at a later date. But that's not the case here, is it? He did see it. And we're going to see that when he quotes from uh, the Psalms that looking that we knew this was going to happen. So Judas, who was counted among the 12 disciples that Jesus was teaching specifically for the purpose uh, of sending them out to shared in this ministry. Uh, yeah, oh, I didn't read this. Let's read verses 17 and following. For he, that's Judas, was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. And then there's a parenthetical statement, verses 18, 19, and 20. This is Luke interjecting. This is Luke's thoughts. He's writing this to Theophilus. So he stopped Peter's words, and he says, Now this man acquired a field, Judas, a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field uh, was called Hakel Damah, that is, field of blood, in parenthetical statement. So Luke is just letting Theophilus, he's letting you and me know what happened with Judas. He throws that in there. So he, he uh, uh, lays that out, uh, verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, this is Peter speaking again, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it and let another man take his office. Verse 20 and 21. So Luke's description of what happens there in that first part helps Theophilus, it helps us understand better the scripture that Peter quotes. Peter quotes Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. The first passage, 69 to 25, discusses the enemies of God. The psalmist cries to God to be delivered from them and calls for God's judgment so that their camp is left desolate and no one is able to live in their tents. Peter applies a psalm typically prophetically, to indicate that Judas has experienced such judgment. The type of, ju of death Judas experienced left the field desolate for him and others. We read about that in Matthew 27, verse 7, um, that the field becomes a cemetery. The second passage cited, Psalm 109, verse 8, the request is that the enemy's days may be few and another may seize his possession or goods. Peter also uses this text prophetically to declare Judas judged. Judas's position is free to go to another. So, verse 21, 
Peter goes on, Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Okay. So, it became necessary. Peter has given scriptural evidence that another should take his place. And the person that should take his place must be a witness and been here from the very beginning. So, these 120, they, they searched themselves as the 11 at required of them. They put forward only two men. That's all. I think they had to put forward, I believe, everyone who uh, met these qualifications. There was only two. And... Uh, Barsabbas, who's also called Justice, or Joseph, called Barsabbas. So he had three names of this guy, probably probably to make sure that we didn't think that this Joseph was the, the husband of Mary. So we know this isn't the same guy. And Matthias. We don't know anything about either one of these guys. That they prayed and said, you Lord, I think they there is, pro- is the apostles. They're the ones doing the praying. And God knows this throwing of lots. We're not sure how they do this. My, uh, my guess is they wrote names in, on some rocks and they, they drew it, and the Lord would be part of that in pro- providence of picking the one that he wanted to be part of that. And that lot fell to Matthias. And then he's added to the 11, bringing them back to 12. There's so much more to this. But Peter is the one leading the congregation, and the choice is left to prayer and the Lord. Everything about the community's actions suggests that this is a community walking with God. That's the key here. The community understands Judas's death to be a judgment from God and part of the divine plan. Peter leads by pointing the community to Scripture. And the community shares in the deliberations, appealing to God to select one who has the heart for the ministry. With the twelve restored... The table is set for the coming of the Spirit. We readers of Acts are to understand the unit not only as an explanation of how Judas was replaced, but also as a precedent for how to seek God as a community in decisions, looking to God to show the way. He is the way. Not us, not anyone. It's God is who we follow, and he is, his son is the head of the church. All right, we're out of time. I got to bring this to a close. We're going to pick it up next week. We'll slow it down a little bit, just trying to get caught up. But God bless you, and take care. Bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. Be sure to check out the podcast for this program on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. To find it, just go to the website and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.